episode, we're going to hear the second part of the 15th chapter of our book, A Little Princess by Frances Hodgson Burnett, and a jingle, but not from the book we usually read. How is school or work going? I hope it's going good. So I'm actually not in my house right now. It's Sunday, the day right before you're going to listen to this, blah, blah, blah. And we are at a friend's house and I had to record because I haven't, you know, had a lot of time this week. It's true. I didn't have a lot of time this week. Trust me. Um, and yeah, basically. So if you hear like a lot of noise, it's because I'm in an apartment right now. And, you know, it's actually very cool. He's got like some instruments and I'm like in his instrument room where he records. It's like got like four guitars a couple like mandolins oh he's got a trumpet he has a trumpet a piano four guitars okay and he's got like a mini guitar and like two mandolins or whatever that is i think that's about it but the piano is like one of these good you know good pianos like anyway moving on If you just clicked my podcast and just randomized to the most recent episode, which is this one, here's a spoiler alert. This is going to be chapter 15 of the book. So you might, yeah, you should probably go back a long while to the first episode and start there. Um, Because otherwise you're going to just, well, it's not even halfway through the book. It's more than halfway through the book. Um, And you really don't want to spoil everything for yourself some news they're good news well sort of i have just counted the pages and chapters and blah 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 blah, 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 blah. and we have about six episodes left of reading a little princess six episodes guys which will bring the last episode of reading right to november 29th so the last monday of november that will be the last episode of a little princess After that, I'm thinking of doing an episode with questions about a little princess, so you know, what is the main character's name? Is it A, Sarah, B, Becky, or C, Ermengarde? You're supposed to answer. Oh, good, good, I was getting worried there. Yes, it is Sarah. Um, But yeah, so you might want to go back and re-listen to everything if you have the time. If not, that's okay, it's just for fun. And I suppose that episode will drop December 6th, and maybe for fun, we will do an All Jingles episode, um, December 13th. And after that, I will take a bit of a break, uh, maybe until February, okay? And during that time, I will receive your suggestions for the new book I'm going to read. Because we need a new book, people. If this is going to keep going, we need a new book. Um... So, you know, anything that is public domain, which means that it is not under copyright. So like Sherlock Holmes or what Katie did. If you like those suggestions, look them up online to see what they are. And then send me an email at readingbookswithnudie at gmail.com and tell me what book you want me to read next. And no, we can't read the jingle book all over again. We're going to have to save those jingles that are still left. We have, I don't know, maybe half the book still to read oh speaking of jingles and the all jingle episode if you send me jingle i promise i will work on one of mine about the process of like making the podcast or about the book we read okay okay i promise to i'm already working on it do you promise okay i do too you have to send it to me though maybe we can do an all 
listener jingle podcast or something. All jingle listener episode or something like that. Anyway, moving on. Let's get on with chapter 15, The Magic, part 2. Do you remember what happened right before this? That's right! Sarah had come home all tired and sleepy, you know, and then she found Ermengarde in her attic and Ermengarde had brought her all those books. They were talking and Sarah was being all thin. You remember they were talking about Sarah being thin? And this is where our book picks up. It was just at this minute that something happened at the skylight, which neither of them saw. If either of them had chanced to turn and look, she would have been startled by the sight of a dark face which peered cautiously into the room and disappeared as quickly and almost as silently as it had appeared. Not quite as silently, however. Sarah, who had keen ears, suddenly turned a little and looked up at the roof. That didn't sound like Melchizedek, she said. It wasn't scratchy enough. What? said Ermengarde, a little startled. Didn't you think you heard something? asked Sarah. And... No, Ermengarde faltered. Did you? Perhaps I didn't, said Sarah. But I thought I did. It sounded as if something was on the slates, something that dragged softly. What could it be, said Ermengarde. Could it be robbers? No, Sarah began cheerfully. There is nothing to steal. She broke off in the middle of her words. They both heard the sound that checked her. It was not on the slates, but on the stairs below, and it was Miss Minchin's angry voice. Sarah sprang off the bed and put out the candle. She is scolding Becky, she whispered as she stood in the darkness. She is making her cry. Will she come in here? Ermengarde whispered back, panic-stricken. No, she will think I am in bed. Don't stir. It was very seldom that Miss Minchin mounted the last flight of stairs. Sarah could only remember that she had done it once before. But now she was angry enough to be coming at least part of the way up, and it sounded as if she was driving Becky before her. You impudent, dishonest child, they heard her say. Cook tells me she has missed things repeatedly. Tort me, mum, said Becky. I was hungry enough, but tort me, never. You deserve to be sent to prison, said Miss Minchin's voice. Picking and stealing, half a meat pie indeed. Tort me, wept Becky. I could have eaten a whole one. "'but I never laid a finger on it.' "'Miss Minchin was out of breath "'between temper and mounting the stairs. "'The meat pie had been intended "'for her special late supper. "'It became apparent that she boxed Becky's ears. "'Don't tell falsehoods,' she said. "'Go to your room this instant.' "'Both Sarah and Ermengarde heard the slap "'and then heard Becky run in her slipshod shoes "'up the stairs and into her attic. "'They heard her door shut "'and knew that she threw herself upon her bed.' I could have had two of them, they heard her cry into her pillow. And I never took a bite. Twas cook, give it to her policeman. Sarah stood in the middle of the room in the darkness. She was clenching her little teeth and opening and shutting fiercely her outstretched hands. She could scarcely stand still, but she dared not move until Miss Minchin had gone down the stairs and all was still. That wicked, cruel thing, she burst forth. The cook takes things herself and then says Becky steals them. She doesn't. She doesn't. She's so hungry sometimes that she eats out of the ash barrel. She pressed her hands hard against her face and burst into passionate little sobs. And Ermengarde, hearing this unusual thing, was overawed by it. Sarah was crying. The unconquerable Sarah. 
It seemed to denote something new, some mood she had never known. Suppose, suppose, a new dread possibility presented itself to her kind, slow little mind all at once. She crept off the bed in the dark and found her way to the table where the candle stood. She struck a match and lit the candle. When she had lighted it, she bent forward and looked at Sarah, with her new thought growing to definite fear in her eyes. Sarah, she said in a timid, almost awe-stricken voice, Are, are, you never told me. I don't want to be rude, but are you ever hungry? It was too much just at that moment. The barrier broke down. Sarah lifted her face from her hands. Yes, she said in a new passionate way. Yes, I am. I'm so hungry now that I could almost eat you, and it makes it worse to hear poor Becky. She's hungrier than I am. Ermengarde gasped. Oh, oh, she cried woefully, and I never knew. I didn't want you to know, Sarah said. It would have made me feel like a street beggar. I know I look like a street beggar. No, you don't, you don't, Ermengarde broke in. Your clothes are a little queer, but you couldn't look like a street beggar. You haven't a street beggar face. A little boy once gave me a sixpence for charity, said Sarah, with a short little laugh in spite of herself. Here it is, and she pulled out the thin ribbon from her neck. He wouldn't have given me his Christmas sixpence if I hadn't looked as if I needed it. Somehow the sight of the dear little sixpence was good for both of them. It made them laugh a little, though they both had tears in their eyes. Who was he? asked Ermengarde, looking at it quite as if it had not been a mere ordinary silver sixpence. He was a darling little thing going to a party, said Sarah. He was one of the large family, the little one with the round legs, the one I call Guy Clarence. I suppose his nursery was crammed with Christmas presents and hampers full of cakes and things, and he could see I had nothing. Ermengarde gave a little jump backward. The last sentences had recalled something to her troubled mind and had given her a sudden inspiration. Oh, Sarah, she cried. What a silly thing I am not to have thought of it. Of what? Something splendid, said Ermengarde in an excited hurry. This very afternoon, my nicest aunt sent me a box. It is full of good things. I never touched it. I had so much pudding at dinner, and I was so bothered about Papa's books. Her words began to tumble over each other. It's got cake in it, and little meat pies, and jam tarts, and buns, and oranges, and red currant wine, and figs and chocolate. I'll creep back to my room and get it this minute, and we'll eat it now. Sarah almost reeled. When one is faint with hunger, the mention of food has sometimes a curious effect. She clutched Ermengarde's arm. Do you think you could? She ejaculated. I know I could, answered Ermengarde, and she ran to the door, opened it softly, put her head out into the darkness, and listened. Then she went back to Sarah. The lights are out. Everyone's in bed. I can creep and creep, and no one will hear. It was so delightful that they caught each other's hands, and a sudden light sprang into Sarah's eyes. Ermy, she said. Let us pretend. Let us pretend it's a party. And oh, won't you invite the prisoner in the next cell? Yes, yes, let us knock on the wall now. The jailer won't hear. Sarah went to the wall. Through it, she could hear poor Becky crying more softly. She knocked four times. That means, come to me through the secret passage under the wall, she explained. I have something to communicate. Five quick knocks, on, five quick knocks answered her. She is coming, she said. Almost immediately, the door of the attic opened and Becky appeared. Her eyes were red and her cap was sliding off, and when she caught sight of Ermengarde, she began to rub her face nervously with her apron. 
Don't mind me a bit, Becky, cried Ermengarde. Miss Ermengarde has asked you to come in, said Sarah, because she is going to bring a box of good things up here to us. Becky's cap almost fell off entirely. She broke in with such excitement. To eat, miss, she said. Things that's good to eat? Yes, answered Sarah, and we are going to pretend a party. And you shall have as much as you want to eat, put in Ermengarde. I'll go this minute. She was in such haste that as she tiptoed out of the attic, she dropped her red shawl and did not know it has fallen. No one saw it for a minute or two. Becky was too much overpowered by the good luck which had befallen her. Oh, miss, oh, miss, she gasped. I know it was you that asked her to let me come. It, it makes me cry to think of it. And she went to Sarah's side and stood and looked at her worshippingly. But in Sarah's hungry eyes, the old light had begun to glow and transform her world for her. Here in the attic, with the cold night outside, with the afternoon in the sloppy streets barely passed, with the memory of the awful, unfed look in the beggar child's eyes not yet faded, the simple, cheerful thing had happened like a thing of magic. She caught her breath. Somehow... Something always happens, she cried, just before things get to the very worst. It is as if the magic did it. If I could only just remember that always, the worst thing never quite comes. She gave Becky a little cheerful shake. No, no, you mustn't cry, she said. We must make haste and set the table. Set the table, miss, said Becky, gazing round the room. What do we set it with? Sarah looked round the attic, too. There doesn't seem to be much, she answered, half laughing. That moment she saw something and pounced upon it. It was Ermengarde's red shawl, which lay upon the floor. Here's the shawl, she cried. I know she won't mind it. It will make such a nice red tablecloth. They pulled the old table forward and threw the shawl over it. Red is a wonderfully kind and comfortable color. It began to make the room look furnished directly. How nice a red rug would look on the floor, exclaimed Sarah. We must pretend there is one. Her eyes swept the bare boards with a swift glance of admiration. The rug was laid down already. How soft and thick it is, she said with the little laugh which Becky knew the meaning of, and she raised and set her foot down again delicately, as if she felt something under it. Yes, miss, answered Becky, watching her with serious rapture. She was always quite serious. What next now, said Sarah, and she stood still and put her hands over her eyes. Something will come if I think and wait a little in a soft, expectant voice. The magic will tell me. One of her favorite fancies was that on the outside, as she called it, thoughts were waiting for people to call them. Becky had seen her stand and wait many a time before, and knew that in a few seconds she would uncover an enlightened laughing face. In a moment, she did. There, she cried. It has come. I know now. I must look among the things in the old trunk I had when I was a princess. She flew to its corner and kneeled down. It had not been put in the attic for her benefit, but because there was no room for it elsewhere. Nothing had been left in it but rubbish. But she knew she should find something. The magic always arranged that kind of thing in one way or another. In a corner lay a package so insignificant looking that it had been overlooked. And when she herself had found it, she had kept it as a relic. It contained a dozen small white handkerchiefs. She seized them joyfully and ran to the table. She began to arrange them upon the red table cover, patting and coaxing them into shape, with the narrow lace edge curling outward, her magic working its spells for her as she did it. These are the plates, she said. They are golden plates. These are the richly embroidered napkins. Nuns work them in convents in Spain. Did they, miss? 
breathed Becky, her very soul uplifted by the information. You must pretend it, said Sarah. If you pretend it enough, you will see them. Yes, miss, said Becky, and as Sarah returned to the trunk, she devoted herself to the effort of accomplishing an end so much to be desired. Sarah turned suddenly to find her standing by the table, looking very queer indeed. She had shut her eyes and was twisting her face in strange convulsive contortions, her hands hanging stiffly clenched at her sides. She looked as if she was trying to lift some enormous weight. What is the matter, Becky? Sarah cried. What are you doing? Becky opened her eyes with a start. I was a pretending, miss, she answered a little sheepishly. I was trying to see it like you did. I almost did, with a hopeful grin. But it takes a lot of strength. Perhaps it does if you are not used to it, said Sarah with friendly sympathy. But you don't know how easy it is when you've done it often. I wouldn't try so hard just at first. It will come to you after a while. I'll just tell you what things are. Look at these. She held an old summer hat in her hand, which she had fished out of the bottom of the trunk. There was a wreath of flowers on it. She pulled the wreath off. These are garlands for the feast, she said grandly. They fill all the air with perfume. There's a mug on the washstand, Becky. Oh, and bring the soap dish for a centerpiece. Becky handed them to her reverently. What are they now, miss? What are they now, miss? She inquired. You'd think they were made of crockery, but I know they ain't. This is a carven flagon, said Sarah, arranging tendrils of the wreath about the mug. And this, bending tenderly over the soap dish and heaping it with roses, is purest alabaster encrusted with gems. She touched the things gently, a happy smile hovering about her lips, which made her look as if she were a creature in a dream. Ma, ain't it lovely? whispered Becky. If we just had something for bonbon dishes, Sarah murmured. There! darting to the trunk again. I remember I saw something this minute. It was only a bundle of wool, wrapped in red and white tissue paper, but the tissue paper was soon twisted into the form of little dishes, and was combined with the remaining flowers to ornament the candlestick, which was to light the feast. Only the magic could have made it more than an old table covered with a red shawl and set with rubbish from a long, unopened trunk." Wow, so what did you think of that? They're stu they're doing a party, huh? Sounds cool. Do you think Ermengarde will get back and they'll be able to enjoy their feast in peace? Or will they get interrupted? With that thought, let's head on to the jingle. This jingle comes from a long-time listener, and it's called Hello Hello. Hello, hello, I don't mean to disturb, but I have this one thought that I just cannot curb. Oh yes, I know, I am jumping ahead, but you need to know about this book that I recently read. Is that the jingle bell? No, it's the bell inside your head, when I tell you that Francis Hodgson Burnett wrote The Secret Garden. Ding, you probably already knew that, but maybe your listeners didn't. So either way, I think I may suggest that you should read it on your podcast. Oh, and by the way, since you asked, another word for big is vast. Thank you so much for sending that in, dear listener. Yes, I did know that The Secret Garden was written by Francis Hodgson Burnett, and yes, we might read that next. Listeners, we are almost three chapters or four away from the end and I will take a break after that but like I said I need ideas on what to read next 
And that's the end of our episode today. I hope you enjoyed it. Come back on Monday when we will hear the third and last part of the 15th chapter. Vast thanks to Epidemic Sound for the songs and sound we heard today and to Project Gutenberg for the book we read. Bye!